Hey and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner and thank you so much for being here. Today we're joined by a trio of unbelievable hitting coaches in Doug Latta, Kurt Nelson, and Cody Atkinson. Let me start by saying this conversation is almost two hours long and it literally felt like 20 minutes. We go over all aspects of hitting from high school to the major leagues. And if you're a hitting guy, you don't want to miss this conversation. But let's go ahead and get into the show. So here is Doug Latta, Kurt Nelson, and Cody Atkinson. All right, so we are joined by Cody Atkinson, Doug Latta, and Kurt Nelson. Thank you guys all for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Happy to be here, JG. Awesome, awesome. Well, Cody, we're going to start with you since you are our first two-time guest, and you're actually Ooh, yeah. at, a, at a new place than the last time we talked. So if you don't mind, and just so our listeners can get an idea of you know what everybody's voice sounds like, tell us who you are and where you're at now. Yeah, so uh, my name is Cody Atkinson. Like you said, I 14 days ago, I accepted uh, my first head college job. So I'm the new head coach at Centralia College. Centralia College is a uh, junior college located about an hour and 15 minutes south of Seattle in, in western Washington. Uh, but before that, I spent time. I was the hitting coach at University of Texas Rio Grande Valley, which is in the WAC Conference, small division one school. That's who I did uh, the first AOTC podcast with uh, back last fall. Uh, I was there for a year, and then uh, I was at West Virginia University uh, for a year and got to spend a year in the Big 12 and uh, see what I believe is the best conference in college baseball, at least arguably. And then four, for four years before that, uh, I was at Everett Community College, uh, won one title and, and had a bunch of guys that uh, went to play Division One ball. And, and before that, I am the son of a hitting coach. So uh, <laughs> I, uh, I grew up in this thing. I have had an indoor facility uh, for my entire life, and I live in the Pacific Northwest, so access to an indoor facility is at a premium up here. So uh, that's me. And I've got to give you a ton of credit for really, you know, you spearheaded this conversation for us. And, and I know the guests are going to get a ton of information, but I wanted to make sure that, you know, we're giving credit where credit is due because these, these <laughs> well, two guys are, are huge influences on you. Mm-hmm. Well, these two guys are way better than I am. That's why, right? <laughs> it's company to be in. Yeah. The best coaches are the best thieves, and I have stolen a ton of my information from these two. Um, I, uh, Kurt and I played together, and uh, we worked uh, at the very beginning of our coaching career. We worked side by side in a cage together uh, for about, what was it, Kurt, seven or eight years um, yeah. Doing, yeah. doing lessons. So we began lessons together, and uh, it's so funny because... Uh, in comes the mastermind, Doug Latta, and, uh, and we got to learn, uh, from him, and, uh, that changed everything. I'll tell you what, if Doug saw the things I was teaching eight years ago, he punched me in the face. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that the sign of a good hitting coach, though, is eight years later you're progressed that much? Yeah, no, absolutely. You're 100% right. Well, Doug, while you're the uh, while you're the hot topic on the conversation right now, can you tell us, you know, can you give us your name and you know your current place of business and uh, what a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I'm Doug Latta. I work out of the ball yard in Northridge, California. Uh, been a hitting instructor for uh, almost 25 years. Never was always around baseball, so it was never a lapse in uh, uh, the game itself. And blessed to be able to work with hitters in you know at all levels of the game. And always out there learning. So I've got to correct Cody. There's no way you can steal something that's given to you. <laughs> and that's 
there's no secrets in this game. You know, it's, it's, we're not going to make this game better by trying to hold on to things and try to think they're proprietary secrets. That's the only way we grow. And I consider myself in pretty good company with Cody and uh, Kurt as well. Well, that's awesome. Well, Kurt, last but not least, go ahead. Yeah, Kurt Nelson. I've actually uh, been working with uh, Cody's dad, Ray, for the last uh, 10 years. I coach an 18-year-old select program called the Northwest Bandits that uh, Ray Atkinson runs. And uh, I've been blessed to uh, be able to do this for a living now for uh, for about eight or nine years. And there's there's no better job in the whole world. So I, uh, I feel blessed to be on this podcast with you guys. Thanks for having me. I really believe that, uh, like like Doug said, is that information is information, and I think that uh, the more we can spread the word of, of you know the good swings and and get the game of baseball to progress in the right direction, the better off we're all going to be. So, especially the players, that's what it's all about. No, oh, absolutely. Well, staying with you, Kurt, can you, let's just go ahead and jump right into the meat of the conversation. So, talk to us about what level do you spend the most time with, and what are you guys really focusing on the most? High school players, but I would say anywhere from, from 13U all the way up into professional baseball. The, the main well, focus Travis for the, is 30. <laughs> Travis is, <laughs> he's, he's about 30, almost 31. So, um, <laughs> but, uh, the main hitters focus really with the high school players is it's really different for every hitter. Every hitter that comes to me has, you know, been taught this or taught that. They all have their different issues and, and our job as hitting coaches is to, to figure out what the best route for that hitter is. I, I would say if I had to, to boil it down to, to one specific thing, um, it would be timing. Timing becomes the, the most important thing always, you know, and there's so many different pieces to timing within the mechanics of a swing, within the mind of a hitter that plays such a ginormous role to, to being on time and being on plane with the pitch. You know, those are probably the, the two most generic things, right? Is being on time and being on plane. Mm-hmm. That would definitely be the most generic way to say what we spend the, the majority of our time doing. And kicking it back to Cody, we know you're in the, you've been in the private setting a little bit and now you're mm-hmm. more in the team setting. So taking that same question, what are you going, what are you planning on spending the most of your time with, with your upcoming hitters this fall? Yeah, I'm going to agree with Kurt that it's really a lot of individualized uh, things because there's no way to uh, cookie cut a program. It becomes really hard to do well if you're just doing the same thing with everybody in college. But uh, it is there is a time constraint and there's uh, there's there's things that you have to do. And so what I do is we have a 10 week development program where we have focuses like I talked to you about last fall. We have focuses sure. on what skill we're, we're focused on that week. And but you have to be really good about taking a kid and going, hey, uh, what we were doing last week, spend this week on it. You know, you're already solid with whatever the work is this week. This is what you need to keep doing and kind of adjusting it um, on a case by case basis. Uh, you know, I, I work with college hitters for the majority of the work and I work with them in a team setting for the majority of what I do. But if you are able to uh, create an instructional individual um, instruction basis with guys, if you're able to take guys and be one-on-one with them and almost do lessons uh, on your college team, which I am able to do now that I'm at a JC, uh, mm-hmm. I was not able to do at a Division One with with time uh, regulations. If you're able to take them and and you're able to get them to self-organize better and and figure it out more, because at the end of the day, 
Uh, they're the ones in the batter's box. And I'm also going to agree with Kurt on this. There's going to be, throughout this whole conversation, JG, there's going to be a lot of me agreeing with Kurt and Doug uh, mm-hmm. because that's just how good they are. But I'm going to agree with Kurt on on the fact that when you get these guys, them being able to move before they swing is so important. It's so important. It's uh, It has to almost become more important because it's the base of what you do, right? And this is a lot of stuff that I learned from Doug of, of how guys need to move before they swing, what's important, uh, how to set your timing to be on time to best fastball and trust your ability to adjust on the fly um, and how to get away from panic swings and, and so on and so forth of that whole what I call pre-launch move. Man, if you're not solid with where you're at in a pre-launch move, you're not going to be solid at all, regardless of how good the actual swing is. And what you're going to find is if everything before the swing works out, checks out well, um, usually the rest of itself is going to, the rest of it's going to take care of itself. I love that. And, and Doug, coming back to you, does, does it change much from the high school hitters that, you know, I'm working with and Kurt and Cody are working with a little bit and, and to the pro level that, that you're getting to? What would you have to add to that conversation? Very little. The, uh, I'm going to be looking at the exact same things in a major league hitter that I'm going to look, you know, downstream down all the way to the grassroots. Uh, my primary focus is always to examine and see body moves, particularly as it relates to balance, because it's my belief and it's kind of been a great proof that the human body is strongest and most efficient from a position of balance. And I've never seen a case anyone can make, whether it be kinesiology, physiology, anatomy, anything, that the human body is somehow more efficient from a position of imbalance. That being said, we can work from imbalance and develop, you know, mechanics and movements around that imbalance and be somewhat successful. The problem is eventually we're going to have to clean that up because most people are going to find a point where there's a, a little bit of a scuffle or even a shutdown. So my primary and first focus is how does this player's body move? How can we make it better? And I 100% agree with both Kurt and Cody. Because there's this element of timing, which seems like an intangible, but I see it as a physical reality tied to the first moves from setup. So strangely enough, I will spend a lot of time on a particular hitter and their setup to see what allows them to make a clean move at timing to, you know, the launch position, which we call 50-50. Because at the point the hitter comes down ready to hit, I think the goal should be Strong balance, 50-50. And uh, that's pretty solid all the way across for a hitter that's, you know, 15 years in the big leagues all the way down to a 10- or 12-year-old. Any hitter, we work athletically through balance. So I would love to just add, because when I, when I got the information from Kurt uh, after a conversation with Doug of hitters going from 50-50 to 50-50 and getting away from being shifty, it was a major game changer for me and what I saw. And in terms of being a hitting coach and watching, um, it changed everything about how I operated, how I taught guys. And what I started to begin to believe through Doug is that now when we look at guys, hey, if we can adjust setup and if we can adjust pre-launch move, they're going to chase less. They're going to swing at the right pitches. And it's so funny because for me, so often you hear hitting coaches talk about why oh, he always chases a slider, but they never talk about uh, all the things that happened before he did. And it was super, super important for me to go, well, he chases because this, this, and this that happened before. Um, and, and that's an important thing that we're getting to here because 
thing. You heard all three of us talk about it. Not one of us mentioned one thing about actually moving a bat yet, you know? <laughs> Uh, and so it's huge, man. That's so huge of, Hey, we're going to, we're going to help when we, when we get you moving, right? Like they're talking about when you are moving right now, you're going to swing at the right pitches. You're going to take the right pitches and vision is so much more increased. And that was a thought for me recently this year. That was just like a light bulb instantly. As soon as I heard it, I said, Oh my gosh, that's so right. We want to, you know, we want to treat what's happening, the, the chasing or bad vision, Well, we need to treat the beforehand to make it better. Yeah, it's Doug. I couldn't agree more. I'd laugh if I didn't want to cry when I hear people that don't understand that that move to 50-50 actually allows hitters to see the ball better. And the people that don't believe it, I've had many major leaguers, you know, years in saying, man, I'm seeing the ball better. So anybody doesn't think when a hitter sees the ball better, that they're more confident and able to react, hasn't played this game. But the, the factors we see is the more balanced the body is, the more at ease we are. Everything's a little bit clearer. Uh, we've been doing a lot of work on, you know, head position in that move to balance. And even low shoulders can affect some players and speed up the game. And when we start thinking about, Cody says, why are players missing? Why are they, you know, chasing? Being on time and seeing the ball and being calm, mm-hmm. you know, where you can actually now have pitch recognition out of the hand and you can actually see it because it's not a strain. I've seen hitters that cannot see seams out of the hand and the minute you make change, it's like, wow, I can see that now. And so pitch recognition goes up. I've got a group of young high school players that are seeing the ball probably better than sophomores and juniors in college. They've been trained. They've been working on it. Uh, I had a college group that just left here or is in the process of leaving. And, you know, those guys going back to school, huh, they're going to hunt sliders. You know, there's no fear because they what they can see, they can handle. Mm-hmm. And they can recognize when a pitch is going to be a strike or likely be a strike. And they can determine early when a pitch is probably going to be out of the zone. Not accounting for umpires. <laughs> right. Hey, I got one last piece to add to that. Um, this is Kurt. And, uh, you know, after my first conversation with you, Doug, when I left the cage and you were talking about making that athletic move from 50-50 balance to a 50-50 balance move, that really stood out to me in my career as a player because I can remember growing up and I can remember getting an 84-mile-an-hour fastball that I'm late on, that I actually get stuck on the backside and I get late on and I miss it. I foul back or I swing and miss through it. I faced Tyson Ross when I was 17 years old, and he was throwing 96 um, up at Bannerwood um, in the Connie Mac Regionals. And I still remember facing 96 and and making my move on time and feeling like it, it slowed the game down so much to where 96 felt slower than the 84 on some of my misses on the previous days. And that was just a game changer to me, is being able to make that move to see the pitch. It softens the swing. It really allows us to get in the zone without panic. It allows us to use our shoulders less in the early part of our swing and, and it allows for a lot less misses as well so it's pretty it's pretty spectacular what you know the players that i've coached have benefited from that it's been an absolute game changer kurt while we're, man, dude. while we're on the subject kurt can you talk us through you know i'm sitting here trying to you know see what you guys are seeing or or hear what you guys are are saying and then trying to visualize exactly what you know, what exactly you guys are trying to teach. So can you, in your best way, 
practically explain, you know, from, you know, day one with the hitter and you're talking about this stuff, uh, what's your best way that you would explain what this looks like or, or how this feels or, you know, just teach us how you would teach what you're talking about? There, there's a kind of an analogy or a little story that I like to tell that, that kind of helps hitters kind of get the feeling we're trying to create. It is, you know, you'll, you'll talk to a hitter and you say, hey, think about your, your best three swings you had all year this year. And, and typically you're going to get, you know, depending on the level of hitter you're talking about, you're going to get a couple home runs or a double in the gap mm-hmm. or something. And uh, you, you ask him how it felt. Did it feel forced? Did it feel like you were swinging as hard as you could? Mm-hmm. And you always get the same answer. Is no, it felt like I wasn't swinging. It effortless like is what I was thinking. Effortless mm-hmm. is always a great word. It just feels like the easiest swing I've ever taken, and the ball went further than I've ever hit it. That feeling, it has to be the feeling that the guys like Justin Turner, the guys like like uh, Mike Trout, the guys like Miguel Cabrera, the guys that have been the best of the best for for years on end. That's got to be how they feel every day. And, you know, obviously, there's still going to be ups and downs for those guys as well. But at the end of the day, that soft feeling, that feeling, you know, we talk about swinging 70% a lot. You, you know, when you overswing, you know, it's the old it's the old saying of when you try and hit a home run, typically we don't. You, you end up missing a pitch that you should hit. So that effortless feeling really sums it all up to me is when you're truly on time, you don't have to force the swing to get off. It just happens naturally. I love that. And and Cody, you mentioned that it's something that you have recently come across. So what really was the green light moment for you or that light bulb moment that made you go, man, this is it? Well, yeah, it's talking. it was talking to Kurt, actually. Kurt often uses the words clean or soft or light uh, when he's talking about it. He, he, me and him talk about a soft entry into the zone uh, because tension causes problems right? Um, trying to feel tension. The thing about this is from your, for me, uh, from your ribs up, if your chest, your shoulders, your biceps, your triceps, all that stuff from your ribs up, if any of those muscles get tense as you're entering the zone, there's only one way that they can work and, and there's no adjustability whatsoever. And so the motor below us is going to do all the work for us. We need to have length on plane. We need to cover uh, a good distance on plane with the, with our barrel. And so any tension of my chest or my shoulders or any overswing up top uh, on the accuracy part of my body, the body that, that controls how accurate my barrel is, is going to cause major problems. You know, I'm only going to cover the zone for two to three balls where I need to be able to cover the zone for eight to nine to ten baseballs for any given one location. And it was talking to guys. Oftentimes, uh, there's a guy I worked with at West Virginia two years ago who's now playing for the New York Yankees and just had an all big 12 year. And the thing for him was don't grab at the bat. Don't grab the bat. Don't grab it because he would grab it and everything would tense up. He'd grab it and push it forward. Other times we'll say, feel like you swing without flexing. Swing as fast as you can with no flexing at all. Clean, smooth, easy feeling. And it's funny for me now as a recruiter, I look for a soft entry into the zone, an adjustable entry into the zone, an entry where I go, yes, that's going to be adjustable on the fly. That's not going to panic. That's not going to be out to end. That's not going to be stuck. And so those type of words, as you, as hitters that are listening to this, as you feel yourself entering the zone, as there's a little bit of lag and you're about to get on plane, you need to make sure that there's a feeling of clean. There's a feeling of smooth. There's a feeling of light. There's a feeling of soft. And it's so funny because there's going to be people that listen to this out there and go, soft? Really? You guys are, you guys are saying soft? 
well, yeah, there needs to be a soft entry of the barrel into the zone for us to have correct bat path and for us to be able to adjust on the fly with no panic. Doug? Uh, right there with the gang. The uh, word effortless has been one of those words that just happens, and I don't think people throw it around. I think it's truly a feel from the earliest time. I mean, working with major league hitters and being around major league hitters, working through, that's, uh, man, that felt effortless. And suddenly you, you realize that if we, and this ready predicated all the, the ideas that kind of led me to where, you know, I teach from, which is if we put the body in a good position and we're athletic balanced, the moves are simple and easy. There's no grind. But the problem I see is probably 95% of our youth in America and all the way up the ladder gets taught moves that create grind in our swing. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people equate grind and hard moves and power moves as heading this a successful way when actually they're fatal flaws. They're going to take you out of this game somewhere. Mm-hmm. And the, the key is being able to understand the you know, elements of movement and timing and not trying to hit the ball hard necessarily. I'm pretty horrified right now at most of the stuff I see posted relative to hitters uh, trying to exceed exit velocity because I think psychologically it makes hitters think about, I need to hit this ball hard. So that point of contact, I'm just going to demolish this ball, which is going to lead to a grindy swing. So I tell our only job is to get a good swing off Mm -hmm. on time. And when we square up a 98-mile-an-hour fastball, believe me, we'll have exit velocity, but I don't chase results. I chase the ability to move in balance and take an effortless swing, which for a lot of people looks almost easy. However, when it's on time, that's how hitters hit. When I'm not on time or my body fires wrong, just like Cody says, I'm going to go into the grind mode, and there's never a point when I'm grinding where I'm going to have consistent success. I'm battling. I'm scuffling. I'm in a bad position. I could get lucky, but the chances of consistency for seven months, not going to happen. And Doug, I mean, you guys, all three are kind of making me look at myself going, man. So, and speaking of myself, you know, completely and putting myself honestly out there, probably uh, a lot of the hitting generation is, you know, where where am, am I getting it wrong? And you guys don't know me personally. You've probably never seen me work in a cage. But where are, you know, with everything that's coming out and all the different metrics and all, you know, all the new ways of teaching things, Doug, and I'm, I'm going to stay with you since since we're ta- hitting on a little bit. Where are we getting it wrong in your opinion? And, you know, what are what, what's your best advice on just the current way of hitting and the current way of teaching hitting? Oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I can't wait to hear this. I oh, cannot man. wait. The first thing that we have to look at is still 90% of what's being taught hitters is wrong from uh, the way body movement and balance. I still see people being taught to spin their hips, you know, shoulder swings, you know, hips, hips first, stay back, down on the ball. I see all of those things that we laugh at to a certain degree being implemented at every level, whether it be a youth ball, a travel ball coach, or a high school coach, or a college coach. And yes, every now and then, 
We hear it in the professional ranks too. So there's a lot of conventional knowledge as it would be lump summed in the 95 percentile probably, which is just wrong. And I say that because once again, how does the human body work athletically and efficiently? So that's always my go-to position. As long as we're teaching good balance and athleticism, the success I've had is not because I'm some hitting genius mm-hmm. or some guru. I hate those terms. The success I've had is I've been able to just let athletes become athletes mm-hmm. and be more athletic. And a lot of the pieces people try to put in just happen because I believe it's an athletic movement, not a learned movement. Mm-hmm. Now, the flip side is obviously over the last couple of uh, <laughs> since six years ago, there's been a change in the acceptance of you know, kind of the swing plane and the direction, you know, we've talked about, which has been a positive, but the pendulum overswung on that because now I see on social media everywhere these swings that are being posted as, wow, look at this, and I just want to get sick. And I've showed that to uh, one of my, you know, uh, some of my major leaguers. We talk hitting all the time, and they do. And a coach, even who doesn't have an idea, you know, exactly how everything works, may not be the best hitting coach, can still look at one of those swings and know that's a bad swing. Yet, what I've learned is the impact of social media and all a lot of self-promotion from these people on social media, it creates almost a cult-like followings. But they look at this, they say, I need to do this. This sounds good. And they are all departures. From athleticism. And I've got college coaches telling me now they've got freshmen who won't listen to their coaches because their social media coaches says your coaches are stupid. They don't know anything. We know better. And these kids are very resistant to even changing with a good coach. And unfortunately, some of that actually has made its way up into the, into the major leagues. And there are hitters who are failing and have failed because they have basically incorporated some of these concepts into their uh, swing and mechanics, and it won't work. It just does not work. If you cannot get into the zone, as, as we're talking about getting into the zone early, being able to get your hands on plane early so that your barrel, your bat eventually will be in the zone longer out in front of you, we're not going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Because we're not going to be able to cover pitches. We're not going to be able to adjust. And you might, uh, we've actually seen some of these young players that come in that have taken three years of online training. And the, and the swing dynamics are so bad. And the muscle movements are so ingrained that the trying to get them closer to something that's going to carry them past high school into college is tough. So it's kind of a, a a real tough subject because it's not saying that look at what we think as being this is it. But we know that all of the things that we're taught, swing down the ball, open your hips, are not going to put us in a good position, yet, nor are we going to have success. So what do we need to do? And then you have what became the fly ball revolution uh, coined by a writer because it sounded good. Mm-hmm. But it also created a bunch of movements and hitting coaches and the birth of new hitting coaches who were all trying to 
kind of take elements of the swing as it's suggested to them, and it's wrong too. And again, I just tell everybody, my focus, I'm going to look at moves. I know Cody will. I know Kurt will. I know 10 guys across the nation who are going to look at moves in balance. And if there's no balance in athleticism, they're going to look the other way and say, we need to fix that. Mm-hmm. But the final thing, I, uh, if you watch major league swings, which are the pinnacle of the game, and yes, some of you guys are great athletes, none of them do it 100% the same. But the positive elements are there in virtually every swing, and you'll see the differences, but it's athletic balance. And if those elements aren't part of training or what somebody purports, we're not doing a good job by the hitter. We just aren't. That's freaking awesome. Go ahead, Kurt. I know you got it. I know. I, hey, when, when Doug is talking, can you hear how quiet all of us are? I know oh, yeah. you're appreciating it, too. I'm it is taking so notes. Awesome. That's yeah, awesome. <laughs> he's recording it and he's taking notes. I love it. Uh, <laughs> this is Kurt. For, I actually had a, a kind of an eye-opening moment for a local college coach that came in the cage and was watching a couple of my hitters and just kind of picking my brain about how I do things. And it's funny because he was watching one of my hitters. He actually played for my 18-year-old team this year. He hit three-hole for me and he was my best hitter. And if you watch him in the cage, he, he doesn't accelerate 100%. He doesn't try and create you know, enormous bat speed. And I'm sitting here from probably 30 feet away throwing about, you know, 65 miles an hour at him, which is, which is a pretty firm reaction time. And and he's making it look easy and the ball's flying off the bat. And the coach comes up to me and he says, you know, when I was watching him warm up and go about his routine, you know, you, you just, I just didn't see it. I didn't see what you were talking about. Immediately when I saw him in a very difficult situation to get on time, to be consistent, I watched him take tough sliders down and away. I watched him be able to handle an inner half fastball the right way without panicking. And I watched him consistently hit the ball on the line going up. And this kid, he's five six. He's a little guy. He can flat out hit in the game. And I think that's the most important part of this whole deal is is that you see, especially in, especially in the state of Washington, because in the state of Washington in the offseason, we're all inside. Mm-hmm. You don't go outside in the state of Washington in the wintertime very often. If you get to more than once or twice, you're lucky. So we spend all this time inside and you lose the feel for the game. You get in there and you're just taking these, you know, so-called daddy hacks is what they're calling it or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and they're letting it fly and they're letting it rip. And, and to the kid, when they can see the tangible information like, like a hit tracks or a rap soto, you know, it, it makes them feel good. So great. You're building confidence. But at the end of the day, that swing is not going to translate to being able to handle a, a, an 88 mile hour fastball with a good slider down in the way. I, there's just no way. So it, it was a really cool situation in the cage with that college coach because because he handles some pretty quality hitters um, in, in the local Washington area of junior college baseball, and it kind of opened his eyes because he was all about generating bat speed and spinning on the back foot a little bit too extreme. So you hope, yeah, hopefully by spreading <laughs> this word. And continuing to uh, to talk the good swing, you know. Hopefully, we can get some of these guys that are have taken this this revolution to a, a way too far of an extreme. You know, we went from yeah. one extreme. I was taught growing up to chop down to create backspin, and we took it from that extreme Ew. to a complete <laughs> other to a complete other extreme. Hopefully, we can meet in the middle somewhere. Kurt, uh, if, if I may, it triggers. We talk about the technology. I know uh, 
I've had probably six interviews and trying to see where technology fits in training. I think people have made a fundamental mistake as it comes to hitting. And I really don't care that people disagree with me. When we look at like the hit tracks and Rapsodo and launch angle and exit velocity, we're testing results. And every time I see that, I question, you know, you cannot take a machine generated result because I need a swing that can duplicate and live eight, eight months. An example, I've heard people use uh, exit velocity off of a tee to somehow qualify a hitter, which to me, is, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. It makes no sense. And then when the hitting instructor tells me, if I take this certain swing and I roll my wrist here, I get higher exit velocity, I'm still in amazement. Okay, so now you're taking a bad swing to get this result and think it matters. But to prove the point, I had a major leaguer I'd been working with, a little bit of hands-on, and we did a lot of FaceTime Skype work over the last off season. And as it was, some of his teammates were in Northridge with me at the time. He sent in a, a clip of what he was doing, and my jaw dropped. And I put everything on. I said, hold on. And I called him. I said, what are you doing? And he explained that he'd gone into this uh, operation and you know, he'd been advised by guy he worked with that, you know, this guy seems to have a good grip on things. And the clip I got, I received from him is him taking a swing at like a PP pitch and he hits it. I have no idea because obviously the video is limited in distance, but I hear, you know, the owner of the operation going, that's unbelievable. And everybody after the swing looks up to obviously check what the exit velocity was. It was a horrible swing. It was going to do nothing to further his career. It was going to hurt his career. I asked him, we talked for about five or 10 minutes. I said, what drills are you being, you know, taught to do or, or suggested? He showed me one. I said, no, we can't do this. The barrel's coming in, literally the barrel's coming, trying to get on plane behind his body and his shoulders are north and south and you know, I, I was a little shook up at that point. I said, hey, you need to get out here. This is bad. And uh, God bless him. He was out that weekend. But I looked at that and understood. It didn't translate. And it may work in, in an environment where a hitter can catch up to a pitch and, and he's not velocity challenge and he's not having to deal with good spin and, and, and pitch adjustment. But the mechanics of that swing I see all the time now. And I got, like I barked about on, on social media, on uh, Instagram and Twitter, and I see these Wookiee training methods, you know, my front leg six feet off the ground while I'm trying to articulate some manner of swing. Honestly, I think the only thing we need to work on, we get to 50-50 and do our best to try and execute the swing we're going to take in a game because that's what I want my body to remember. I want mm-hmm. countless repetitions of my body first very familiar with going to balance and then executing the swing i'm trying to create from that position over and over and over rather than trying to have my body get used to working out of balance and that's like i said kurt it it flashed my mind and literally the the feeling in my throat this was a man's career but had it not been a major leaguer had it been a high school kid it's the same thing Mm mm-hmm when a player comes to you, he's putting his career, his dreams, his goals, his family, he's putting it in your hands. That's a big responsibility. Mm-hmm. And that goes for 
a youth who wants to play in high school, for a high school player who wants to get to college, for a college player who wants a shot afterwards, and most certainly for professional and major leaguers. And I'm not trying to scare somebody off from being a coach, for sure, but respect the player and understand where we're going. And that's why I sound kind of probably over the top about try to do it better, try to do it right, because at the end of this rope is a hitter. That's and good. there's some, hitters have dreams and goals. And ultimately, if you learn to be a better hitter, if you go through all of the, the painstaking effort to become a good hitter, those are life skills. And those are life skills you're never going to lose. I firmly believe that. That's so good. Now, Cody, we haven't heard so from good. you in a while. So I want to throw, you know, taking the same question, but I want to ask you, so we're, we're talking about timing a lot, right? How are you going to apply this in the team setting? And how are you going to, you know, take all that we're talking about here, which is absolute, you know, audio, just brilliance. How are mm-hmm. you going to apply that with a group of guys, you know, to 25 to 30 guys? Mm-hmm. So uh, Doug mentioned something where he's talking about going north to south with the barrel and making sure that it's north to, north to south. Something Kurt talks about a lot as well and something that I've bought into completely of uh you know one thing that we're trying to get our guys to do one of our daily drills i I post these videos for people to follow Uh, one of our daily drills is called under before outside and we put a ball on our right shoulder and we put the barrel on top of that ball and we want we want to hold that ball onto the shoulder as the barrel gets under the hands to start working north to south and it's going to be underneath our hands just inside of our hands and it's interesting to see because i I'm watching a, an event this weekend that I'm recruiting and I see 90% of high school hitters that are going into their senior years where the barrel gets outside of their hands above their hands. And so outside of their hands, meaning as we're getting, you know, as we're getting into lag, barrel is towards home plate outside of their hands above them and it's, it's causes out to in. And so for us, uh, if we start to believe in being north to south and, and covering as much as we can, uh, timing becomes as simple as set your timing on time to best fastball. Um, and you just set your timing to meet best fastball in front of the plate. I see a lot of young guys where I'm going to take our team. Uh, is We have junior college hitters that are using wood bats. Seeing it deep doesn't work for these guys, man. Uh, seeing it deep gets them beat. Um, uh, you know, the, the party's out front, as people like to say. Um, and so for me, I'm going to make sure uh, that our guys are focused on I'm setting timing to best fastball, and I am uh, trusting a barrel's ability to work north to south and land on the pitch that throws that's being thrown. And so for us in a team setting, we're going to focus on zone coverage. We're trying to look for zones. We're not trying to look for pitches. We're setting ourselves up time on time to best fastball. We're not thinking about the pitch at all. The pitch doesn't matter. I'll land on the pitch, whatever it is. I need to set my timing to the fastest pitch you can throw to catch it where I need to catch it and trust my ability to land on anything else. Um, and so it boils down to being as simple as, okay, get yourself on time to best fastball to arrive on time, the barrel beat the ball to the spot, and then trust your ability to work north to south and land on multiple things and multiple timings. If we're working north to south, now any margin for error that we had before is greatly increased. And now I can be late. I can be a little late, can be a little early. I can be off slightly. Um, and for us, the setting yourself, I, I love, I, I heard it from Kurt a long time ago, set yourself up beyond time to drive best fastball oppo gap. I'm in an intermediate timing 
where I can adjust on the fly in either direction and I'm close on all facets. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, it's interesting because we're, we're not really talking about you need to do this with your elbows or you need to do, hey, listen, you need to work on these things and you need to set yourself up in simple, easy thoughts. I believe, just like these guys do, setting yourself up to be on time to best fastball is not hard. <laughs> you can do it while you're sitting there on deck. You can do it while you're in the dugout. And so we're going to give our guys things that we believe they can accomplish, and we're going to rep it over and over and over and over and over again. Hi, Cody. This is Kurt. I, I love that. I, I think that you're you're taking a group of kids instead of cookie cutting a kid to do everything the same way. You're you're giving them some guidelines and some freedom to work within those guidelines and principles. And I know that you're going to challenge those hitters in different settings to to get them you know prepared and understanding how the right swing feels when it's translated into a tough situation and that's a very important concept to do so i love the word simple i think anything we can do that simplifies the whole process and can help a hitter you know to retain you know that athletic move with balance and and with timing um we're going to be a, a better not a, we're going to be better hitters individually and as a team guaranteed well it's like we're talking about a little bit uh, an athlete will self-organize if you give him the right things to focus on. Uh, and an athlete doesn't need to hear all these little, tiny, intricate things. They'll self-organize and do the right things. It's the way the central nervous system uh, works. Absolutely. The simplest thing we talk to is, you know, obviously I'm obsessed about balance. But then I just tell hitters, our only job at that point is then we're going to be able to hit through every pitch we see. And that doesn't matter if it's, fastball, you know, up and in, or a slider down and away, whatever the pitch is, our objective is simply to hit through that ball, to make contact and follow the contact line rather than make contact and suddenly go east-west. Um, I guess for our listeners out there, when we talk about north-south, east-west, we're really talking about the bat plane either going through a pitch towards a pitcher where the bat's going to go that direction rather than the bat going east to west, which would be making contact and then heading off plane towards either the first or third base dugout, depending on, you know, uh, lefty or righty. But again, once you give a hitter some ideas to work with and how would that work, what swing would you have to do, you'd be, yeah, I agree. The, the hitter will self-organize and the task is a lot simpler than, trying to fix 15 things on their body and try to, you know, equate that to contact. And I think another added benefit, which I see all the time is, and Kurt and Cody will understand, when people come in here and work with me or my group and, you know, they don't hear words, launch angle or exit velocity. Uh, college coaches said, well, they don't buy into that stuff. And my hitters will say, uh, he doesn't ever talk about that. And I don't. What happens is if you start Use your body right and get that concept kind of hitting through the ball, which means you're probably going to hit the ball in a better position out in front rather than get beat up deep. Suddenly, the ball almost elevates itself. It's mm -hmm. easy to elevate, but you don't have to try to elevate because by being soft into the zone, we talk about getting those hands on plane early and, and just letting everything go north-south, you can exploit those, you know, what they call, you know, the positive launch angles, but you're not fighting to get to 15 degrees or 25 degrees. 
Because the one thing I can't control is exactly where I hit a ball. And anybody says that you can, heck, hasn't faced good high school pitching. Because to be consistent, I have to get off a good swing. But I find it laughable because I've, I had a writer in here hitting the other day. And I asked him if, after he's done, the first time he came in, he's hitting, you know, really bad ground balls. And then after we just made some little fixes, suddenly he's hitting the ball, you're hitting some healthy wood crack. And when we got, I said, how many ground balls did you hit? He said, I think we hit one. I said, how were those balls hit? Good. I said, yeah. Were they in the area? He goes, yeah. I said, you didn't have to think about it, did you? And he laughed. I said, nope, I didn't tell you to hit the ball in there, did I? I just told you to take this swing. There's your result. Yep. But if I told him, hit the ball in the air, he's going to try and adjust his swing to do something that is not going, you're not going to really be able to do in a real live arm game situation. I just want the simplicity of being able to understand how my swing works, what my objective will be, and then take that forward. And you, Cody and Kurt and John, you're going to laugh. Nothing's better than hitting through a slider down and away. Oh. Not hitting at it, mm-hmm. but hitting through it. Yeah. Because good things happen when you hit through spin. Yeah. And you yeah. don't, and, it, and the hitters get to that point where suddenly they don't fear spin anymore. And they actually are comfortable because of the simplicity of good swing will hit through spin because a good swing will take you through the ball. So I love simplicity. Don't mm-hmm. talk to me about pronation, supination, and a lot of these other, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I get it. I understand how the body works, but we don't work very well that way. You give me too much information, it's confusing. It's overwhelming. And I cannot have a hitter. I can't have a major league hitter uh, with 20 minutes to work on something on a game day or anybody else working through time. I can't have them, you know, confused or overwhelmed or you know, unable to affect the little changes we need to make for that day. Too much information. I love it. I love that too. And we're talking a lot about timing and something that I am really trying to do a better job of is helping them to see more realistic timing because, you know, early on in my career, I was very, very well, ver- or well, I tried to be very well versed in how the swing works. And so we worked a lot on the swing. So a lot of T work, a lot of low flips, a lot of, you know, let's try and let's try and make you feel good, which I'm sure everything that we're talking about, you know, good and bad has a place in certain settings. But would you guys recommend or what would you guys recommend to be completely honest with you? Because I'm I'm going to more of overhead, a little bit closer, a little bit harder, just so, you know, they're they're trying to see that more rather than and training in in an environment that mimics what they're going to see in a game. Versus, you know, like I said, T and low flips and, and a majority of that. So, you know, what would what would you guys recommend? And, you know, how how can we help get our players better from the timing aspect? Once they understand what they're trying to feel, now how can we help train it in, you know, the cage or, you know, BP on the field? So I'll start with the high school. In, in Washington State, this occurred. Um, in Washington State, like I said, you don't get a chance to get outside as much. Um, when I was playing 15 years ago in select baseball, if you, if you looked at how many games we played and most coaches back then were dads, most coaches worked normal jobs and then went and coached at nighttime. So they had more of an opportunity to play every day. So I think 
when I was 14 years old, I think we played 115 games and I probably had close to 300, 400 at bats in a year. Maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit more, depending on the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, we saw a lot more live pitching and we were much more prepared and more quality hitters because we saw more live pitching. In terms of getting in the cage, uh, if somebody, you walk in the cage and, and somebody's only doing flips and T work, uh, I'm going to walk out the door right away. You have to see a ball coming in as realistic as possible. I mean, you're not going to sit here. I'm not going to sit here and go 90 mile an hour fastballs every single day. But I think if you can eliminate as many of the flip stuff, as many as the T stuff as possible and work more on seeing a ball overhand, there's a lot of added benefits there. And, and the machine stuff, I mean, it, as long as it's used in the right setting to, to maybe see a slider, you know, at, at 87 miles an hour, I can't throw an 87 mile an hour slider. So it does help uh, facilitate some of that feeling. But at the end of the day, the more overhand you can get, uh, especially in the state of Washington with high school hitters, the more overhand you can do, the, the better off you're going to be. Is make it as realistic as possible. This is Doug. We try to integrate timing into every swing. The problem is most hitters are late, and it's pandemic. But a lot has to do with what they've been taught and human nature. Because when you're a young player, you're told to wait to see the ball. So now you're waiting to see, is it a ball or a strike, or is that thing going to hit me? So we get used to trying to see the ball late. Maybe because it's going slow enough, we can you know have effect contact. But the tough thing is to be able to go early is to really go against human nature because we're going into the unknown. We're on the way to a position before we see a ball coming at us. And if you haven't done that, it's tough. Uh, it's tough for a lot of hitters. But uh, we try in a cage environment. Our flip work is usually timing related. We give a verbal. Um, and we usually come going before they see movement on our BP. Same thing. They'll get a, a verbal to go before you see movement or the ball. One of my favorite timing devices is, you know, the slider machine because we give you a verbal that would be fastball timing and you're on your way and now adjusting to a slider. And it's really actually tougher because two things happen. Machine sliders are going at a much higher spin rate than, than a human slider. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot different having something chucking a slider at you at, you know, 5,000 RPM versus a human slider going at 2,300 RPM. And the other thing we don't get necessarily, which I like to see, is spin. But there's still the same feeling of going on a fastball, going on the best fast we're going to see, and adjusting and being comfortable is huge. I like and strongly recommend real reality bullpen because every hitter remembers, hey, we're going to go, uh, we're going to sit on our pitchers while he's doing bullpens, right? Mm-hmm. And most people ch- just kind of went, went through the motions. But to me, that's the most serious work we can do because first thing you're doing is working timing. The minute that ball comes out of the pitcher's glove, the minute there's a break, your, your movement begins. You are going. Now, then your next job is, just recognize, you know, seize the seams. What are they going to tell? They're going to tell you exactly what's coming your way. And you're going to know very quickly, actually, as you get good at that, you're going to, you're going to see ball or strike. What's that ball? And, you know, you can't get surprised, obviously, 
you see slider spin and next thing you know it backs up on you you didn't quite expect that but that's far and away unusual rather than normal but the much as much live arm not necessarily worrying about hitting but more about practicing mm-hmm. seeing in a flip environment if you throw a two seamer the hitter can actually see seams rather than just a ball coming with you know regular spin so one of the you can do with uh, players is the minute they see seams they say seams so they're training themselves not only to hit but they're also able to now train their eyes at the same time to recognize seams so it gets used to that process and it's not something that's easy now what makes timing really difficult is sometimes our body moves don't allow that and if i have one crushing blow other than my obsession with balance is uh, the toughest thing is some hitters, it's tough to get them on time. It is for whatever reason. And I'm kind of coming to the conclusion that sometimes it's uh, more of a mental or visual thing than it is the physical ability or there's some disconnect. And some guys are just great in timing. But I think Kurt and Cody know that if I'm talking to a hitting instructor and within a few paragraphs, we're not talking timing. I'm shutting down mm-hmm. because timing is more physically there for me, even though it's intangible. I can't help it unless I unless they begin the process of understand timing. And make no bones about it, an eight year old can start working on timing. It it's there. Now the tough thing is the slower the pitch the tougher it is to hold timing. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> the idea of it, and then the thought of being early. And it's funny, a uh, hitter I worked with earlier this year, Major League hitter, talked about sometimes he felt he was uncomfortably early, but he absolutely raked. <laughs> <laughs> okay? So again, that, un- that discomfort is mainly in our head. Mm-hmm. I always talk about, has anybody heard the term chaos training? Mm-hmm. What we make hitters do is you'll, again, we'll have a verbal, which is simple. It's go, because that's simple. Go. That's my go time. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Go. And what happens is, whether it be flips or BP and even the slider machine, the hitter will shut his eyes, and when he hears the word go, he can make his move and now open his eyes. Hmm. Hmm. And that very quickly because the mind panics but in time you control that and then suddenly now you go back to just being normal and keeping your eyes open and going and once again the game slows down so i don't think chaos is jumping out of chairs and putting my body in contorted positions and trying to hit because i would never do that in a game the chaos is in my mind the chaos is me being surprised the me, you know, sitting sitting on pitches and suddenly, hey, how'd that guy throw that 98-hour fastball? You know, we didn't see that. Or, ooh, look at that. There's always a point where we could be surprised. Mm-hmm. And it's a matter of, you know, Cody, it's a matter of staying soft and just trusting and just letting your swing happen. Because mm-hmm. even in those elements where we feel like, uh-oh, if we're able to just let our A swing happen, more times than not, we'll have contact or success. And it, it's strange, but we get to a point of panic where now we're going to change everything, freeze up, lock up, and now surprise, the worst thing can happen, we're surprised, is take a bad swing. But 
timing is is everything mm-hmm. for fry thick hitters from high school up. No, and when you're talking about you know picking up the seams of the baseball, when you're talking about vision, are you asking them to pick it up really early in a certain spot and anticipating where where it's coming out of the hand or you know that's something that's a conversation that I've had with my hitters in the past of let's anticipate where it's going to come out and and we're going to soft focus vision on that and then once we start to see it come in we're going to more hard hard focus vision but is that something similar to what you're trying to teach or you know teach me what you're trying to help them pick it how you're trying to help them pick it up early um, I think the easiest way to describe soft vision is being relaxed at the plate. Your whole body's relaxed. You're prepared. Perhaps you've got your rhythm, whatever you're at, but you're balanced and you're ready to go, but you're not tense. Mm-hmm. Because Cody nailed it. Whenever we're tense, we're slow. There's never a point where there's tension that speeds me up or allows me freedom. It's an obstacle to me, my, my having movement that's free. So how could I ever allow a hitter to be tense? And let's face it, there's some situations you're in that you're going to want to be, you're going to tense up just human nature. You know, three, two pitch, bottom of the ninth, game on the line. But we have to learn to be first relaxed enough that we're good to go. Now, being relaxed allows us to see better. We're going to make that move at timing. When we move from our setup to our 50-50, our head is moving too. Our head is going to move, hopefully in the center of our body, above our spine and posture, Till we come down to that 50-50. We've talked about that makes seeing the ball better. No if, ends, or buts about it. Stay back all you want. Now you can't see the ball. Mm-hmm. And I saw a hitter who was getting some really bad instruction over the winter, was failing miserably using that stay back mentality in the big leagues. Suddenly say, I wasn't seeing the ball. I could, you know, well, you know, my comment was, duh. But obviously, <laughs> obviously, the instructor doesn't under, didn't understand all the facets that surround the hitter. So now as we are relaxed and we go, what I'm looking for is the next move I make. I'm just looking up at release point, and I'm just going to look for, for spin or seams. And then I teach the hitters, you know, what to, what you look for. Fastball, we see very little seams. If I see a little bit of red, it's going to be a two-seamer. Most likely, if I see a circle or a dot, depending on you know who's throwing what, it's going to be more. It's going to be a slider or a slur. And then definitely, if you look at release point, the curveball will always look like it comes up out of the hand mm-hmm. at the release point, rather than coming straight at you, as would any other pitch in the repertoire. I've got guys that are getting good enough seeing the ball because they're relaxed and able to do it, where they can see three fingers standing up. And mm-hmm. hip, hello, circle change, right? Mm-hmm. But it's preparing not only for recognizing the pitch, but being kind of relaxed enough to not worry about, oh, that's a slider, but looking at the spin and understanding where the spin of that ball is going to take you. So if I see that spin and that ball's on the outer lane, I'm not taking, I'm letting that go. That's going to be a ball. If it's on the in, inside or middle lane, it's likely to be a strike. So it's a matter of sensing, not, you know, articulating your head, uh-oh, slider. More like, okay, what's that ball going to do? And learn to expect it. And it's a process, obviously. But if you start with a hitter, you know, at a young age or, you know, a high school freshman or a sophomore, they will, it, the picture will get better. Will they be experts at it? It depends on the hitter. 
and a lot of the other factor, but they will get better at it. But like Cody said, suddenly now you're not ta- you're not, you're being selective. Everybody talks about plate discipline, swinging at pitches, you know, that are strikes. That's how it begins. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's it's like two strike hitting. I'm gonna if I allow me to digress. What do we do with two strikes? What are kids told with two strikes? Protect the plate. <laughs> yeah. For, okay, so now I'm already defensive, right? I've already got this this silly fear in my head, like, oh, oh, I don't want to strike out. Well, who cares? An out's an out. My job is not to worry about doing something. It's about I want to get my good swing off. But countless coaches make them change their setup. Usually, make them wider. Get wider. Choke up. The minute you get wider, you've now slowed your body down. That move you've been working on from setup to 50-50 no longer exists. And you're going to have to fight to get moving. So suddenly, the most important pitch you see where you want to be as athletic and relaxed as possible, you're in an unknown position. And you had to change your good swing and your good setup because it obviously wasn't good enough to handle the magic of a two-strike pitch. Mm-hmm. Cody, Kurt, how many times have we seen somebody chase a ball in the dirt with two strikes? Mm-hmm. And Jonathan, too, of course. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they don't swing at that zero-one strike. Mm-hmm. But if you're relaxed enough and you you can actually make better hitting decisions because you're making better moves and you're letting your eyes work. Is it a process? Yes. But I know both of you have been successful in getting hitters to come come up that, that path. How fast is it is a game changer? I'm gonna yeah. add to this really That's quick here. This is Kurt. Sorry, Cody. <laughs> Doug, the first time I met you, we were in the cage and you asked me what I taught with two strikes, and I remember telling you shorten up a little bit, try and see the ball deeper, fight the plate a little bit, and you actually told me, you physically told me to turn around. So I turned around and you kicked me in the butt. And I remember you <laughs> kicking me right in the butt. And you go, well, you're, te- you're telling me that your swing in, in a positive count isn't good enough to hit in two strikes. And that was an eye-opener for me. You know, so that, that made my emphasis on making a better swing that can, that can hit in all counts. And that was a game changer. I loved it. Not the kick in the butt? <laughs> that was the we all need that from time to time. No, no, but it, it, emphasis and it, it's understanding because the light goes on that all of our lives as hitters, people put more pressure on us than we need with two strikes and usually the fear is striking out. Whereas I'm going to go make effective contact mm-hmm. and every one of us played has done damage on a two strike pitch, which is very gratifying mm-hmm. because don't give it any more mysticism with Two strikes, the ball doesn't break harder. It doesn't go faster. It's the same ball. But the minute we make changes, everything's off the board. Cody will agree. If I widen up, there goes my sight. If there goes my swing, and there goes my confidence. So the swing that's most important to me, my A swing worked. I just need to maybe go into dual relaxation and really get relaxed and go see the ball. Do you guys want a funny story about that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm working with a big leaguer. Um, it was down in Anaheim. Just met him and, you know, worked through some stuff. And we talked a little about not staying back and moving forward to the ball and my two-strike approach. As luck would have it, that night he was in a game and he struck out. And I was, I went down there the next day. We're still working. And I'd, I'd asked him and he, he says, no, 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 that was my fault. He said, 
I was greedy. I'm like, what do you mean? And he said, I did exactly what you said with two strikes. I took two breaths and relaxed. And the minute the, the hands broke, I went to see the ball. And he said, I saw the ball out of Nelasco's hands. I knew it was a changeup. I also knew it was a ball. But I saw that ball so clear, I was still going to hit it out of Anaheim. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. I laughed. Awesome. I laughed. But again, you know, part and parcel. It works at every level. But, you know, it's to human nature because sometimes something looks so big to us, we're, you know, we're oh, going to yeah. do more than we probably should. <laughs> so, Cody, I want to hear from you. No, I, I wish I was taking notes like Dawson <laughs> is right now. Like, this has been a game changer for me. I mean, the, I, hey, you can consider Central College Baseball. We've already implemented the seams. We've already implemented chaos training. We're, we're already doing all of it because I'm, I'm hearing about all this stuff and I'm, it's going, oh my goodness. Uh, this is absolutely right. Uh, this is exactly what it is. And, and I agree completely because, uh, the way that we develop guys is there is, I mean, think about, think about all the things we say with two strikes. We're talking about two strike approach. They create more tension. They create a rushed rhythm. They do the opposite of what we need to do. And so now we're taking, you know, take a 90 mile an hour fastball and the way that we want guys to move with the way that a lot of guys are coached to move with two strikes. We're making 90 mile an hour fastballs look like 95 mile an hour fastballs versus uh, taking our move that we're comfortable with, that we're relaxed in, and making a 90 mile an hour fastball look like an 85 mile an hour fastball. It's absolutely the ticket there, and it's funny because that's the way that I was taught. That's the way that I hit with it, and that's 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 the way that I ended up chasing pitches that I wouldn't ever chase had I not done that. And uh, absolutely, I'm I'm 100 percent in awe. I mean, I was sitting here going, "Oh my gosh, I." Should I open my phone up right now and, and do notes on my phone? Or like, I need to, uh, I'm glad that I'm getting this before it's going to come out so that I can hear it first, you know? Oh, that's awesome. And, and, you know, talking about the same things and talking about vision and talking about seeing the ball well, you know, I, I remember as a player and I talked with our players about this too, whenever they're swinging the, the ball or swinging the bat well is what does the ball look like? You know, it looks like a mm-hmm. beach ball. Every time that we're swinging the swinging the bat well, or any time we go on a hot streak, it just looks like you can't miss it. And so that's that's at least my vision of what you know you guys are talking about, and what Doug has been talking about for a little while of of seeing it early and seeing it well. And and <laughs> I love the story about the guy in Anaheim. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> but uh, uh, and Jonathan, uh, if I could add just something that I was thinking about a, a while ago on timing, mm-hmm. if that's all right, we're we're on timing. Um, I, I I often think about this and just. Think about the development of a hitter from little league on, right? And so in little league, with how fast the ball is coming, uh, they have the ability to see the ball sitting back and make a move. And and I guess I'm going to say that there's no way we could change this process, but um, you have to consider this process when you're working with guys because after little league, the guys start throwing a little faster uh, when they get to 12, but then we move the mounds back when they're 13. And then it's slower. And then at 14, it's my strong opinion that at 14 years old, 14 year old kids playing on 60 feet, 90, 60, 90 baseball fields is crazy because you go watch a 14 year old game and you're like, Oh my goodness, the field's way too big for these kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you've got kids that are th- the, the, the mound just moved back six feet and now they're throwing even slower. And then by 15, it's, st- and so really 
the first time that they are seeing uh, pitching at a speed that that we're have, we're trying to have them work to repeat and work to to beat is by the time they get to the age of already past recruitment. Really, I mean, recruiting is already is is starting right when they're first trying to see that, and the whole time before then, uh, there hasn't been any time where they needed to relax and have good rhythm and be able to uh, be calm when a ball's getting on them and a ball's heavy. And so you go out there and you see, like the event I saw this weekend, you see so much rush, so many rush paces, you know, so many uncomfortable panic moves because of the look of the ball. And this is where coaches at this level, at, at the young college, young college guys and, and older high school guys, we need to take those guys and we need to get them to relax. So many times I say to guys, hey, focus internally. I'll tell guys in the batter's box, hear your own breath when you're in the batter's box. Hear yourself breathe because it's an internal focus that helps us relax. If you watch a lot of big league hitters, you watch if you watch the College World Series, so many guys that step out and take a deep breath and relax. And this is something that you don't see enough of at younger ages. And if we could give this, there's no reason that all the coaches that watch the College World Series and watch big league baseball and see hitters uh, and the way that they are, the way that they move, the way that they relax, there's no reason that uh, coaches in high school or younger can't say to a kid, hey, it's going to be really important that you slow your heart rate down when the guy's throwing hard. It's going to be really important that you slow your eyes down and feel light and feel easy and feel calm uh, versus you know, when the guy's throwing hard and you get the kid all jacked up and now he's rushing and now he's making that guy that much better um, and that slider that much better uh, because of his, his uh, tension and, and his, uh, his, ex- his accelerated heart rate. Amen. And I'm, I'm right there with you guys. And, and, Kurt, let's talk a little bit about, you know, absolutes. And when we're talking about, you know, the, abs- the swing itself or, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be just about the swing. But are there absolutes to, you know, to the swing or to each hitter? Or is each hitter truly absolutely individual? And, you know, what is your process? You get a new hitter, you get a hitter in for the first time. What's your process in deciding on what that hitter needs to work on first? Because, you know, we, we mentioned earlier about information overload. And I've been guilty of this. Probably you guys have been guilty of this as well. And I know there's mm-hmm. some listeners who have been of trying to do too much too soon and just overloading mm-hmm. the circuits, basically. So, you know, in short, are there absolutes to each hitter or is it individual? And what should we be looking to work on first? The, one of the most important things is when I get a new hitter that comes in, it's obviously the time of year, what level they're at, what what you know, physical capabilities they have, athleticism, um, power, strength, um, it is all very, very relevant. So I spend probably my first, my first session, my first couple of sessions with a kid just trying to figure out what they've been taught. What have they been taught? You know, who coached them? What information do they have? Do they have any information at all? Typically, you know, they have the, the generic information and, Hopefully, it's not along the lines of swinging down and sitting back on your back leg and reaching out with your foot, which typically it is that. But um, (laughs) once we pick the brain, once we figure out what they've been taught, now we can start to attack the hitter a little bit more. And we can come up with a plan that's going to be beneficial to that hitter. You know, when you're talking about absolutes in the swing... um, it, there's there's so many intangibles there. Um, you know, I, I love the balance. I love the balance 
you know, I, I, I used to not spend too much time on the setup. You know, if the setup looked at fairly athletic, I just let it go. And, and now I spend so much more time on, on developing a setup that's going to allow us to have more balance. It's going to allow us to make a better move to 50-50 in relation to timing. You know, you can sit here and you can cookie cut all these different absolutes and, and you can, you know, firm up the front side and, and get your hips through and all the, the different random stuff that you hear. At the end of the day, you have to figure out what that specific hitter has been taught and, and find a route that that hitter can learn from and build within, you know, and, and all other times too, it depends on how much, how much time I have with this hitter. Mm-hmm. You know, if do I have a hitter that's going to come to me in October and is going to hit with me once or twice a week all the way through the year, you know, now we can take our time. Now we can really develop, you know, maybe, maybe spend the first couple of sessions really hammering out a setup that, that's really going to help us moving forward. You know, so I think at, at the end of the day, it becomes such a huge thing is to understand who you're working with and what they've been taught. Cody? Um, yeah, I, I, I thinking about absolutes, I'm like the most guilty person here of like making like the six absolutes and, you know, like doing all that. And, and I, I look back at the stuff I used to do and PowerPoints I have already made and it makes me laugh so hard. Um, I because, think I have uh, one, actually. Yeah, I'm sure. Hey, I'm sure. Hey, you can go back through old tweets and call me out on things that I do not teach now. I mean, I'm telling you right now. And that's okay. That's good. That's, I like that. But in terms of absolutes, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at pre-launch move, the setup, uh, the move. Um, how you go? Uh, is it, is it 50, 50 to 50, 50 or, or is it, um, is it shifty? And then I'm looking at path north to south and that's really it. Uh, that's all I really care about. I'm going to go, okay. Uh, are we able to get north to south with path? Is there soft clean entry? Is it tension free? Are we able to make a move from 50-50 to 50-50? Because now you just think about it. If you can do those two things, what else do you need to do? Uh, what else is there to do? Um, because if I've got those two things, obviously, you know, we're going to talk about being able to, uh, have tilt to get the down pitches and, and all those little things about different pitch locations. But in terms of your swing and absolutes in it, hey, Make sure that the setup is good. Make sure that the move is good and make sure the path is north to south. Doug, is there anything that else that you'd like to add to this? I think the, like I said, obviously, you know, it's going to come out of my mouth. The only absolute is balance. And it's something we don't have to worry about because once we have it, it's really tough to lose it. But I'm with Kurt and Cody. A lot of times, of you know, hitters, uh, we're reprogramming. And the amount of reprogramming is, you know, a function of, you know, how much brainwashing has gone into the hitter's body and how they're able to process and utilize the information. But I've had an extreme amount of success just keeping things simple. And in our ideas, you don't get to backshift. You don't get to move backwards to go forwards, which some people insist you have to do. And not only will I disagree, it's one of those proofs that has become literally a game changer for hitters. Uh, even in, you know, even at the major league level, when you clean up something like a backshift, all other aspects of balance get better. So I always think we have to start simply and, but we know that's a direction. So I don't hesitate to go right after balance. And all my hitters are told 90% of becoming a great hitter will never be swinging at a ball. It's going to be 
sitting in front of the TV and making your move from setup to balance repetitive times. Teach your body what this move is and exaggerations within that move. So when you get to home plate and you're making a move forward, it's already a known commodity. It's your body knows what you're doing. It has just been done so many times. Your body just knows what you need to do so you don't have to think about it anymore. But the strange thing is we always have to kind of keep tuning it up. I've seen hitters at every level suddenly a little change you would not, most people would not even recognize, can throw off the whole party. Uh, for instance, if a hitter is on top of his foot in balance, he's not balanced. We really want to establish what we talked about being inside of the back foot. Because if a hitter gets his weight over the top of the foot, the moves will be uh, compromised. And you may not see that until again you're you know really up against good velocity and and movement and and good spin but as long as you keep predicating make sure setup's good make your move simplifies it a lot heck that's a lot of homework you know my hitters take home i've been standing here moving while you've been talking <laughs> in a swing motion <laughs> that's good well i and, love it and and one thing that i'm taking away from all three of you is you guys really keep it simple and something that I that I've really tried my best to do in the last couple of years is to give as much ownership to the player as I can because in the end it's their career. And so I I've taken it personally to try and and I know this sounds weird but to eliminate my job. And so by keeping mm-hmm. it simple, have you guys noticed that that they have been able to self-diagnose and self-fix their problems better when you keep it simple? Absolutely. Hundred percent, hundred percent. You actually just said uh, Doug's favorite quote. I love this quote. It's uh, it's your swing, it's your career. Your swing, your career. Learn your swing. Well, the other thing is, it's funny because you know you you start with a hitter, and you may talk about something that may be you know uh, out of whack with the body. You know, front shoulders making this move. You know, uh, backside is dead. Whatever. And they don't recognize it. Mm-hmm. But as you stay with it, they become more body aware. And I love after a short period of time, they'll take a swing and tap their front shoulder or kind of tap their back leg or, you know, make the motion of, you know, getting the hand, the top hand underneath and, and getting it forward. They'll start recognizing that, which makes their body aware. So now they can fix things because they can feel it, mm-hmm. but they don't usually have that good feel because nobody's ever incorporated it. But once they start being able to pinpoint, it's amazing what they can do because they're not panicking. Oh, you know, my front shoulder pulled off plane, you know, and then it's a matter of them saying, what caused that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where, you know, and they'll, my guy said, hey, darn it, you're right. I was over my back foot again. They're going to find within themselves certain common regressions which lead to pretty common fixes, but they don't panic. Even in an at-bat, they can be off, take a step out, recognize what was wrong, think about the fix, and the minute they step back to the plate, we're no longer thinking about mechanics at all because the minute you stepped out and thought about it, it was fixed. And it's back in the minute you step in the box, think about that effortless feel and relax and go see the ball. But... That's the goal. And obviously not every hitter get, gets there, but 
mm-hmm. they can start down that that trail and the body awareness is, is is reality you know i see people and i'm sure every all, all four of us have seen hitters get frustrated i don't feel that coach i don't feel that oh I, you know and they feel less I don't, hey relax no frustration allowed you will and i smile a lot like we'll get there mm-hmm. because i know we will but it's easy because we'll do things so easily and they're they're just confused or they might be trained by other coaches to tell you what you want to hear. Mm, and cool. I incorporate them into a conversation at all times that I get them used to just responding back and forth, figuring what their internal and external cues are for them, not mine. And if uh, a player describes a move as an apple, I might think it's an orange, but for him, that's an apple. Mm. And the next hitter in the cage that might be an orange. So for him, it's an orange. It's the same thing. Whatever works for that hitter and, and gets them, you know, doing the things we need them to be working towards works for me, but it has to come from them and they have to be part of the process and they have to know they're part of the process. I, uh, as Kurt knows, the first thing we do, we will videotape a hitter and I don't care the age. I'll put it on screen and I'll ask a question. How's your balance look? And I don't care how old hitters understand balance. Yes, a 10-year-old could sit there and say, I'm pretty heavy on my back leg. Wow, my head's farther back. They can see these things. And I am never amazed by the human mind because they can actually start making visual imagery work for them because they're, oh, okay. And some older hitters, you don't have to be... 16 years old or 20 years old or 35 year old to understand balance, but they can see it. And if they can see it, it's just another tool to help them visualize, oh, when I do that, that's what that looks like. Just a great part of the process. And I'm going to jump in and say, I've heard somebody say that mirrors weren't good things or eyewash. Nothing could be more ridiculous. Wow. Because yes, I heard that. I just laughed and that discounted anything ever coming out of that. Uh, person because mirrors are important for me to look at and relate to how my body moves and what that feels like for me. And if think a hitter can't sit there and examine his move from setup to balance in a mirror and say, oh, you know, my front shoulder's tucked in a little bit. Okay. Let me adjust here. I don't know a major league hitter that doesn't use a mirror or doesn't look in a mirror now and then. <laughs> Sorry. So if they do it, why would I excuse doing that for any other hitter? And again, you can look at it from, you know, the pitcher's view and side view. If we look at video, why wouldn't we look at a mirror? That's uh, my complaint. This is Kurt. I, uh, I actually bought a freestanding mirror a few years back and I keep it in my cage. And we, we do a, we'll, we'll still run some T work with the younger guys back there on occasion when we're working on some specific drills. But we do a whole lot more mirror work and, and it's automatic homework from, for my hitters is that, when, when you come in for a session and you come back and I can tell you didn't put the work in, I, I don't want to work with you. I, I mean, if you want to, if you want to be there and learn and you put the work in and you come back in and, and the move you're making is that much better, I, I can tell that you put that effort in. And that mirror work is, is so vital because you can see it being done while it's happening. And, you know, all the video stuff is phenomenal. I love video. I, I do it every day um, as well, Doug. But, but to some degree, the video is still after the fact, right? We're still looking after it's being done. 
And when you're standing in front of a mirror, you can see it happening in real time. So if you're really struggling with your setup or you're struggling with, with shifting back or not making an athletic move to 50-50, that mirror is going to tell you right right away that you need to change your setup or you need to change the way you make this move. Um, and, and I'm going to interrupt real quick, Kurt, because you're right on. Because the other thing is, now yeah. you can you have feel. You have you see what's happening, and you and now you can adjust your feel based upon that. And you can go hit off a hit tracks machine for the next ninety days, and it may not help you as much as that that mirror or that video will. I love it, hundred percent. Well, while we're on the you know subject of what you guys are are doing in your hitting sessions, I want to kick this one back to Cody. You know, and and again, I'm in the team setting, and and you know, Doug, you're in the private setting, and and Kurt, you're in a little bit of both, but. You know, especially with Cody and, and a lot of our listeners are in the team setting. So we've got, you know, 30 guys that we're trying to work with. And so I want to hear from the different perspectives on what, if you had an hour, and again, this is fairly generic and it depends, it depends on so many different things, but just kind of give us a skeleton practice plan of, of if you've got an hour and with Cody, you'll probably have a few more hitters than, than Doug and Kurt, but. What would you do with that hour with the the group or the young man that you're working with? So what I would start with is we have our our daily EDDs. We're we're they're everyday drills. Uh, they're movement stuff. It's about mobility and it's about um, the the central nervous system kind of being thrown off a little bit with different objects that you have to throw cork bats and frisbees and and balls that you throw with your your bottom hand and and medicine balls with both hands and, and so on and so forth. And, and we're really, all we're doing is we're just shocking the central nervous system and, and we're creating a way for you to self-organize, uh, for you to, uh, move efficiently under different circumstances and different variables. And you're going to do that every single day. And then for us, we want to progress from working on that to we'll bounce back and do what we call dart toss and, and Kurt, Kurt and I always just say, hey, we'll start a little darty party. We're, we're not going to flip front toss from an underhand. We're just going to throw front toss overhand from a little bit further back, but not really much further. And for me, if I'm working with an entire team, and so if I have 16 guys in there at once, I'm going to, the way that I like to do it, is I like to shift uh, basically when they're coming in to start. So uh, it's going to be kind of at five-minute intervals how they start. and so. Um, I'm going to have this group come in and, and everybody's going to go along the same timeline with about two to three or four guys. And you're going to do your EDDs, your daily work, and then you're going to get to dart toss. Uh, and then after dart toss, uh, we're going to move it back and actually throw a BP. And, and the way that we like to do things, and this is something that I'm moving to basically doing every day, is we're going to go no panic fastball swings where we're trying to have soft entry and feel tension free and feel clean and smooth. And it's just going to be fastball, fastball, fastball. And then we're going to work into a fastball curveball uh, pattern. And now I'm throwing, you know what I'm throwing. I'm throwing a fastball and then I'm throwing a curveball and then I'm throwing a fastball and then I'm throwing a curveball. And we're trying to not panic. And we're focused on setting ourselves up to best fastball every time and letting our swing um, uh, land on breaking ball on the fly and trusting that it will. And then the last part of it is going to go fastball, breaking ball mix. And I'm going to flip you breaking balls every now and then, but we're going to say the entire time, all you're thinking about is the fastball. That's the only thing in your mind. 
And it's funny because I'll throw a breaking ball, I'll throw a breaking ball, I'll throw a breaking ball, and then the next fastball you're late on. And I'm going to call you out on it and say, no, 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 that can't happen. Uh, we need to treat each pitch in a game like an individual rep, one rep. This pitch is one rep. And I know in one rep, I need to set timing to best fastball. I need to make my move on time to best fastball and get my A swing off. And that's all I have to do. And so you can't let, it's like this. When you go in the game, when you see a guy chase a breaking ball and the next pitch is a fastball for a strike, what oftentimes do you see? Take. Yeah. <laughs> and when you see a guy swing or when you see a guy take a fastball down the middle and then the next pitch is a breaking ball in the dirt, what's oh, the next sw- swing? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we're trying to get away from letting each rep affect the next rep. And we're mixing now. And so now we're working on trust as well uh, without panic. And then after you've done that with me, you're going to move on to the slider machine. Uh, you're going to go, uh, we, you, I talked about this with you at length last fall, Jonathan, of, uh, we have slider machines that are set up, uh, that are, uh, six and a half feet up, 54 feet away and two and a half feet offset right or left based off of the slider. And that is, uh, on average what we're going to face off of the live pitch. So we're putting our machines on platforms and we're making sure that the, Flight of the baseball is exactly what you're going to see or as close to it as possible. And you're going to get on right-handed and left-handed slider machines. You're going to make sure, like like Doug talked about, you're hitting through sliders. You're not, you're not just clubbing them. Uh, we're going to hit through these sliders, and they're going to be good, hard sliders. And the other thing that we have with this is we're ending with this for a reason because uh, with a hack attack machine and an auto feeder, uh, you see the ball in there for about half a second. 0.5 seconds and then the ball spins about 0.9 seconds on the ramp and so it's 1.4 seconds and so we're very close to the actual timing of a pitcher's move before the ball is released and so now in this way when we finish on these slider machines and we could turn them on fastballs on with arm side run certain days i like sliders more uh, just because the fastball is so hard to set without over spinning it um, and making it almost rise but uh, when we set these up uh, you are going to get a, a, a reality of timing with 1.4 seconds that you're seeing the ball before it comes out of the machine, and you're going to get a reality of ball flight. And then uh, one thing that I would love to implement uh, with guys is the reality bullpens, where, okay, pitchers are throwing bullpens. After you've done all that, uh, you're going to go over and see an actual arm throw a pitch. Um, and I think that that should take you an hour. And so when we get into our individual work here at Centralia College, uh, it's not going to, it's not going to come off of that most days. Uh, we'll have certain things we're doing. Maybe it's a focus of the week or something like that, but that's going to be a general plan for our whole team. I actually implemented with my college groups, um, the, the last couple of weeks, I implemented a rule. So we're, we're, we're going to no panic stuff and then we get into some fastball slider mix. Um, when I'm throwing from about 35 feet away, about as hard as I can. And <clears throat> which isn't that hard. But <laughs> the reaction time becomes pretty good. But uh, the, the one rule is is that I can sit there, and if I throw you 10 fastballs, you can stay in the box all you want and just be ready for the next pitch to come. But when you land on a slider or you land on a changeup or you recognize breaking ball, they have to actually physically step out of the box. It's, our, it's a new rule because for, hmm. for the last nine years of teaching hitting, I've been doing fastball curveball stuff, and just like you said, We'll go fastball there on time. We'll go fastball there on time. The breaking ball, they actually hit the breaking ball pretty good, but the very next fastball, they are late on every single time. I don't care if you're, I don't care if they're 10 years old or they're 30 years old. 
I see it time and time again. So we, we made a new rule is when you land on the off speed and, and you, you hit through spin, your job is to step out and reset back to fastball every single time. Nice. Nice. I love that. Uh, Doug, what would a hitting session with you look like? Uh, not quite as exciting. Uh, you get, <laughs> I would always, like I said, if it were a from a training instruction standpoint, again, we're going to kind of look at where a hitter is at that point in time, what the moves are, and whether or not we're even in them uh, put changes in. And people don't understand there's times when I want to leave a hitter alone. You know, they've made good changes, and I don't need to tweak every time uh, you know, I lay eyes on you. It's more or less getting the body used to a new set of variables, a new movement. Let it dial in a little bit. One of the proofs I had was watching hitters work and constantly be something new, something new, something new. Change this, change that. Next thing you know, you kind of take away athleticism. Mm -hmm. And I always thought, okay, it takes time for the body to reorganize to a new movement. So parts that I might see that people would say, well, do this, I'll wait. Because the body will amaze you at what it will do once it's in a good position and once it's comfortable. Where I've seen hitting coaches say, you know, this is how the, you know, the back elbow or the hand works. And now the hitter's concentrating on that and it becomes artificial because you're actually working on something that is not the hitter's body is not going to do naturally at that point. And all hitters aren't really the same, but there's close enough similarities that some people will say, you know, do this. Whereas I'll say, get balance, make a move. Here's your, you know, let's see how it's working. And if it's cleaning up pretty well and they've got a good consistent approach, let's see, you know, what happens over time. Let's see what little things take care of themselves. For example, uh, back shifts are usually one of the big things we have to deal with. And, you know, hitters overly concerned with it the first, you know, couple of times in. And then we work something else and they'll turn around and they'll be looking and say, wait a minute, my back shift's gone. Because we didn't focus on it as as the athletic movement got more comfortable to them, there was no need for the back shift. They fixed themselves, but it's a process. Uh, like we talk about overwhelming a hitter, I think some of it's intuitive. You see where a hitter's at, and he's fine for now. You know they're effective. If we put too much at them, maybe we break what we started. And the greatest thing in the world to see is a hitter get to a certain point. And suddenly comes back doing things that you would say, wow, that looks great. Because now they're implementing their body's line to make moves that you don't need to fix. They're in place. Not to say that over the course of time, little things don't get wrong. You need little tweets and tweaks and fixes. But as we've said several times in, in the show, hitters will self-organize if they know what they're feeling. Obviously, I love live arm, you know, timing and, and, and pitch recognition. You can never get enough of live arm hitting, but like I said, the effective use of slider machines, even velo machines, you know, properly executed front toss and BP, I mean, those are our style works, aren't they? I The one thing I don't do a lot of is T work. I would prefer to see hitters working on dry swings rather than T's because a T establishes a point in space and time, and a hitter can actually hit the ball and start cheating and not know it. It's also how they use a tee, where they use a tee. And part of the idea of the dry swing is reinforcing the idea of what I'm trying to do. And that's why people have noticed that hitters have these odd-looking golf-like swings in the on-deck circle. 
and not understanding, all they're trying to do is reinforce the idea of direction, line, working underneath the shoulders, getting the ball out in front. You know, all these concepts just in a field drill to just keep, you know, the body in line because it doesn't take much for a hitter to make a move that may be very like something they used to do. And next thing you know, that bad habit comes back in spades. You turn around and, you know, now they're they're going east-west. And how did that happen? Some stimulus, some move they made, fired their body back up to, you know, old habits. And they need to have that ability to be like, okay, got to go north and south again. You know, I've got to find that. The human mind is a, uh incredible device. I'm just amazed at, you know, what it can, you know, can do. And I think there are no limits once we find out how a hitter thinks and processes and how that develops. So I didn't mean to digress a little bit, but yeah, I'm loving everything you're doing, Cody and Kurt. I'm having fun with this. Love it. Love it. Oh, fantastic. Well, I think a theme of the show and I think a theme of, you know, just good hitting coaches and good coaches in general is that we're, you know, lifelong learners. So Doug, saying with you, what is something that you've learned lately that has gotten you really excited about, you know, the game of baseball or about hitting in general? Well, I think you all could just got a video I just shot over to you. That's something we've been working on. I've actually thought about for over a year and a half. And in my mind, I was over engineering. But we've created something we call a sling, which is simply a rope tied in a loop. The loop hangs uh, about two to three inches above the floor. The rope is usually six to seven feet high, tied off to a bar or a chin-up bar, you know, on a on a doorway. And the hitter will put his foot, the, the you know, the front foot into the sling. And then in balance, keeping the front foot underneath the front hip, the back leg has to make a move forward. So the back leg and the back hip move the body forward while keeping the front foot underneath the knee, underneath the hip. We like that because a lot of people don't understand we don't really step to the ball with our front foot. Our backside should control that motion. And definitely for anybody that's been a spin hitter, gosh, a bug hips first, they have no concept how their backside works in a hitting environment. But the, by strengthening that move, uh, we talk about you know gliding to the ball, being able to float, being able to, you know, land softly, but make our adjustments literally on our way to a pitch. It's all about the back leg making the move and controlling it. And we've now integrated it into a, uh, a drill. I've had oh, four or five major college coaches see this, and I'll be pretty surprised if I don't see a bunch of slings hanging from rafters somewhere because it really builds the bottom half move you tell a hitter to keep the top half quiet, and then when they get in a cage after doing this, suddenly there's this explosive backside that most people don't have because it's been trained out to them. And backside, we do everything from the backside. When we throw, our posterior chain follows that motion. That's why it's strong. And only in hitting do we do everything against the posterior chain when we get taught wrong. That's why I'm so adamant against Get your hips first, shoulders, spin, any move that does not move a backside, whether they call it a linear two rotation move or just to me as an athletic move, I don't use my posterior chain right. And once I do, and that means posterior chain 
follows me through the zone and applies all of that energy to a pitch, that's why suddenly guys start driving the pitch into the gaps, over the fences, regardless of, you know, the size of the biceps. It's using the body more efficiently. It's balanced, and, and I just, we like the idea of they do a few slings, and they do it at home. They should, I've got five, ten guys already left. They're, they carried their slings with them just to get the feeling. So there are going to be some funny dorms out there for sure, just to get that feeling of having that backside move. And when you, when we do it, I advise them, once you do your backside, then you've got to go on your weak side too, because we want balance in the body. Because we also feel that throwing mechanics will get better and fielding and movement patterns. Because when we move our feet, as we were talking about using our feet on defense, we are using our adductors. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a complete movement. And so we see that as being one of those beneficial exercises that really does a lot and can translate into making a better body move, but also in a drill, having a hitter feel the backside control his move forward. So we're pretty excited about that. Uh, we laugh because it's such a simple thing. You know, it's, it's a piece of $2 rope. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think you guys will look at that and see it. And I know uh, one of my favorite people in the world is Craig Hyatt. Tried it the other day and just loved it with one of his lessons. So, yeah, give that a try. Have fun. We're, I mean, it's, it's a game changer. Cannot it's wait a, to try that tomorrow. It's a game changer. But make sure that it's high enough. It has to be over the head of the hitter from the rope. We can't do it lower than the body because you really want that hanging. Be careful because you'll see balance is critical. The first time they do that, you know, they're going to be all over the place in a lot of cases. But, yeah, I, please try it. It's really, uh, I think, uh, I know already Cody's going to be plotting. But yeah, that's definitely going to be part of your EDD, baby. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the last, the last, the worst part about this whole deal is you're going to see me go up a ladder, and that's not a pretty sight. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, well, Kurt, while you're while you're on the mic, can you tell us what you've learned lately that you're really excited about? You know, honestly, uh, all of it, everything. I mean, it's all. It, there's so much good stuff. There's so much. So much of it is still so new to me in terms of you know, where I've come from in the last, you know, nine, 10 years of, of teaching the swing. And man, it's a, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's also exciting. I, I, I wake up every morning, get a chance to go to the cage and teach hitting and, and figure out, you know, what's going to be the next step with the guy that I'm working with, you know, during that session. And, you know, so I, I enjoy the overall process. If I had to pick one thing out, it's, it's the no panic. I absolutely, I love standing 25, 30 feet away and crow hopping as hard as I can and just watching the hitters that buy into it just, just put on a show, you know, and just trying to breathe that environment that's, uh, that's, you know, at some point it's tougher in the cage than it is in the game. And if we can do that, we can put guys in a position where when they get in the game, they feel like the game is easier, you know, so in terms of the, the drills and, and, you know, some of the different things we're looking for or trying to feel or some of the different approaches that we're trying to look for based on what we're facing. You know, it's all great stuff. I can't pick one thing out. I mean, it's it's all just so, you know, relatively new and, and, and incredible. We're seeing so much success um, with, with certain guys that have never had success. Um, it, it's a fun, it's a fun thing to be a part of. Cody? Yeah, it's it's got to be soft entry, clean entry. 
it's going to be tension free entering the zone and getting north to south. That's been uh, stuff that has just changed me. It's going to be a uh, barrel, uh, getting under the hands inside, just inside of the hands, you know, uh, getting under before it gets outside of hands and, and all that good stuff. I mean, I think it's been, uh, stuff that I heard about a while ago, but, um, just more recently, uh, have really committed to no panic has always been a thing for us, but it's, uh, it's the things I'm focused on right now. But absolutely the newest, my favorite newest thing is just clean entry into the zone, man, tension free, uh, the ability to be relaxed and, and be balanced and, and move on the fly. Uh, you know, I, I go in and I mess around and take BP and, uh, it's interesting because, uh, uh, I'll make a lot louder noises when I'm, uh, when I'm right versus when I'm feeling a strong. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I read the article that Derek Florco read to or posted that was about the, the, the article on, on studying the golf swing and how, uh, when, when guys were given drivers and told to swing at 80%, they actually hit the ball further because it was more efficient uh, and stuff like that. And uh, that's where I'm at. That's where I think a lot of people need to start to focus on. Um, I think the whole clean entry thing, my goodness, get on it, man. Uh, make sure you're looking at where your guys are at and how they're getting to that position. Oh, I've got to jump in there, Cody. I absolutely agree because all of our life we get misinformation and people say about you've got to be fast to the ball. You've got to be get those hands going and realizing that we really don't rush our hands. Because if we rush our hands, we grind. So it's finding that fine line of of completely changing what a hitter thinks. I've got to get the barrel on the ball. I've got to I've got to you know make these moves. It's really an easy entry. It's it's like I said, seventy five eighty percent. Just get get your hand to make its move and just it'll accelerate itself. I don't need to provide you know the idea of fast hands or or try to be faster because when I try to be fast, I'm slow. And I, and I grind. So 100% Cody, great job. Easy entry, no rush. You'll get there. Well, guys, I've got one more question, you know, before we start to wrap this up. And that's, you know, we'd, we'd be remiss to not include something that, that our players love to do. And if you had to pick out one thing that you guys do with your players in the cages that they, that you say it and they just, they go bonkers because they, they love it. They, it's either a drill or, or some sort of competition. But what's something that, and let, Kurt, let's go ahead and start with you. What's something that you guys do in the cages on the field, you know, or whatever that your players can't get enough of? You, you know, it's funny because we, you, you actually prepped us with these questions before and I wrote down something that was not relevant to doing it in the cage, but, one thing that I do do for my hitters um, that they love is I make them videos. I actually go back on the videos that we took in the cage. I go home, sit in the office for another four or five hours, and I make these these vo- called voiceover videos mm-hmm. that I basically go back through, and I can sit here and talk into it and basically walk you through your video. Um, and, and they actually, they absolutely love it. It's, it's, it's something that, uh, they can always go back on. I always give it to them for their, their mirror work. And I said, look, you're going to take this video. You're going to press play and stand in front of a mirror and, and walk yourself through some of these adjustments and changes. And, and they absolutely love it. Um, you know, in the cage with my team, we'll, we'll have some fun and we'll do some, some no ground ball stuff, but the, we want to make sure we're doing it the right way. You know, we'll, we'll have a, a fun time about it. And, you know, you roll over to the shortstop and, and, you know, a fastball middle in and, and you're out of the cage and some small, you know, fun little situations like that. I know there's some, some pretty out of this world stuff that some of these people are doing. So we, we never wanted to have, 
you know, we always want to have fun in what we're doing. And I think the majority of the guys that I get a chance to coach, they're, they're there for the right reasons. So it's fun either way. Cody, what have you got for us? Mine's going to be dirty from 30, baby. Uh, <laughs> we, uh, uh, Kurt and I started doing this when we played. We played college ball together. And uh, with a position player, another hitter, uh, you sit 30 feet away and you spin everything that you can spin. You throw any pitch you want to throw. And you play a simulated game in the cage, and that's how you learn to hit, man. Um, and that's just—I uh, say that for this. We don't do it often, but uh, when we do do those things, guys get pretty jacked about it. Guys love doing it; uh, they're excited about it. And there's a lot of heated arguments uh, in the cage. And it's funny because you could think, "Oh, guys are just goofing around." No, no, no. Listen, guys are learning how to hit. Uh, guys are feeling things that are felt when guys throw different pitches at them. Uh, guys are having to compete. And, um, and it's when you stand on them and watch them do it and compete against each other, uh, it's a fun environment and, and you can make sure that it's, um, it's properly managed and well-trained as well. Doug, have you got anything to add? No, I just hope that uh, players kind of love everything we do. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the most thing I think is when you give them accountability and you, and you give them their swing and they know that they're part of this and you encourage them to, to act to go beyond, to think about it, to, you know, go through it. They come back, I think you empower them to first believe in themselves and then, you know, start taking the steps to become a much better hitter. Yeah, we uh, occasionally with our groups, we can do like competitions. We've done a few, but, you know, that's, you know, generally if we've got a group that's uh, here, we might do like, you know, slider machine situations, who's going to get the most RBIs in 10 swings, right? And you critique, you know, you set up situations, one out, runner on second and third. And yes, the runner at second is Billy Hamilton. Um, <laughs> and then you've got runner at third with, you know, one out, you know, or whatever. You set up a situation and and just, you know, have fun and rotate guys and then see, you know, what they can do. It's that, that same thing of making a game, but getting that competitive fever going you know get get everybody you know ramped up a little bit to compete and you know grab at you at each other a little bit so all of that whenever possible you know it puts this element of of fun into something that's a lot of work oh absolutely now before we wrap this up i'm just gonna you know open up the mic for you guys and doug we'll start with you as is there anything that we haven't covered or is there anything that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? Absolutely. <laughs> Talk about absolutes. The question was asked to me and I'll say it again about who would I follow on social media? And Kurt and Cody know exactly what I'm going to say. The aforementioned Craig Hyatt. <laughs> I erase everybody, listen to nobody, follow nobody but Craig Hyatt. He does such an incredible selfless job of putting out hitters at different views that you can just really watch hitters and really watch what they do without a lot of self-motivated dialogue or self-promotion. And and a lot of his descriptions are right on. But just being able to, you know, get good hitters and watch what they do, I think is part of the learning experience. And I am uh, utterly amazed that how much this this man does and how fast he does it and he's doing it for hitters and that man should have 10 million followers 
Mm-hmm. 100%. So don't follow me. Follow Craig Hyatt. <laughs> <laughs> well, my thing is going to be the exact uh, opposite of what he just said of don't follow him. Follow Doug Lotta. <laughs> uh, figure out what's going on with him because ultimately um, all the information that I've been through and I've been a lot of different places. I was on the East Coast. I was in Texas. I've been in the Northwest and all the people I've met and um, ultimately what I've found to be uh, the single best information that works uh, that works with all hitters is the information that, that Doug has given us. And I believe it. Um, I know that it's right. And, and I want I want everybody else to start to uh, understand it and realize it as well. Kurt, any anything else before we sign off? Yeah, I think you guys covered the, the social media aspect of that. I, I think just, just when you step into, if you're a kid and, and you're watching this and you step into a facility or a cage, um, or you go work with an instructor that is trying to sell you like a car salesman, I, I'm going to, I'm going to walk out the door. Uh, for me, it's, it's, it's the proof is in the pudding. You know, it, it's, you go into a cage and you find the right hitter and hitting coach that, that's going to get you better. And, if you believe in it and, and you're seeing the results, then, then great. You got to find that relationship. The, the last piece of advice that I would give is to, to watch Major League Baseball. Watch the guys at the highest level. Watch the guys that are doing it year in and year out and, and go follow Craig Hyatt. I'll, I'll re- reiterate that there. The guy's unbelievable. And, and you can start looking at these slow motion swings. And that Mike Trout is doing, that that you know Mookie Betts and, and Miguel Cabrera and a lot of these guys are are doing year in and year out, you know, at the highest level. So never stop learning. And the second you get with somebody that that's done learning, that really just wants to regurgitate what they've taught for years, that I'm out. So thanks a lot for having us, JG. Absolutely, thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. Before you go, I'd love to be able to get in touch with you, and we have several different ways of doing so. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at AOTC underscore podcast. You can join the AOTC Coaches Facebook group. And if you want to be a part of the mini clinic emails, both of those links are listed below. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a rating or review to help others find and stay ahead of the curve.